Welcome to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Here we are, day two in Wyoming, and as predicted, the forecast was accurate, and it snowed last night in springtime, early April. I guess that's possible. But because of the inclement weather, blowing snow, high winds, we rested up this morning so that we are podcast ready, and we are also hoping to, as soon as we're finished the podcast, to escape and get out into the field and capture some snowy wildlife images this afternoon, which we will talk about on our next podcast, hopefully. So here we are today, and we have a couple of things we want to cover. Um, First of all, I'm going to touch on social media and taking time to look at images. And the question of whether photography is art, well, it's a no-brainer to me. I say absolutely, because it's a creative process that we capture images, we have so many technical aspects in creating these images and of course it's the person's eye through the tool of the camera that creates the composition and recognizes the lighting and creates amazing pieces of art. So yes, that being said, there's so much of it available online now through social media feeds that we are inundated with all kinds of content and I think from my experience as a professional over these decades I believe people are looking at it in a rushed fashion. They no longer really take the time or rarely take the time to appreciate a fantastic image. We see so many a day. So on Instagram, for instance, which we all here participate in, and I'm sure many of you do as well, um, how many images do we see in a day on Instagram? Of course, it relates to how many followers or how many people you follow, but easily hundreds of images. And we look at those images at an incredibly rapid pace and we can digest those visually that quickly but do we really appreciate the amazing ones and how many are there you know and it's all everybody has a different eye for what they appreciate but let's say look at 200 images on Instagram and maybe there are five that are wow that's that's a phenomenal capture of whatever the content may be um, that deserves appreciation of more than one f- a fraction of a second is what we spin through and we hit the like button or not or comment um, but it's fast so what I want to do is encourage people to take a little bit longer for those images that really mean something to you that, that speak to you and and look at them and appreciate them because they all took effort they took far more time than one can imagine by spinning through them in, on Instagram Um, some of these images people have waited years to collect in the field and it was a phenomenal moment of all these variables coming together of lighting, composition, animal behavior, whatever it might be. It might be northern lights, it could be architectural images that were just really striking with how the light fell on the the landscape or the um, structures that day. And what I want to also encourage is, aside from looking at it longer to appreciate it and potentially training your eye for better imagery and composition, why not take the time and comment on the image and make a contact with this person who is has created this image, has this talent and, and expertise, and make a direct connection. And I know that it's always appreciated. Uh, for instance, I have people who send positive comments religiously almost every picture I put up and I'm grateful that they took the time to do that I know that they're taking longer than the average person to look at the image and appreciate what's what was put into it Uh, for instance there was a comment yesterday on a moose where somebody was nice enough to say that they appreciated the, the backgrounds and the composition of my images as much as the animal content and so to me that meant something because they took a moment and they looked at the image I know that they appreciated various components of the image and not just one or two glimpses and saying, well, it's a big bear or a nice landscape and moving on. So I appreciate comments and I'm sure almost everybody would. So that's another thing I'd like to encourage with Instagram and and, and social media viewing of photographs. Um, the other thing I wanted to say is moving on from that is when we actually get into the field, why do we do wildlife photography or nature photography or landscape photography? What drives us to do that? And to me, clearly, there's a thrill to the success of an experience when you encounter an animal or animals and and are fortunate to capture great images. But that's hardly, that's not, doesn't happen all the time, obviously. There's all kinds of variables that affect or influence the success we have in the field. And what 
means as much to me on many of these traveling trips is just basically the time in these places. And whether or not there's a thrill of filming an animal, there's still a lot to be had there. And in our modern lives, with expectations in our society, many of us are working at fast-paced rates mm -hmm. and are stressed out with deadlines and lots of communication, um, positive, negative, etc., that we're dealing with all the time. So for me, the highlight of what I do is the time in the field in wilderness. You know, it's people have asked me what percentage of of my work takes place in the field versus in the office. And after giving a recent talk. Um, the fellow who was in, the chairman of this organization asked me if it was 50-50. Do I get to spend half my time in the field and half my time in the office editing, marketing, promoting, shipping, whatever it might be? And my reply was, wow, that would be awesome. I wish. And, you know, there are ways to always Im Im increase those ratios and numbers. And, and that's a, certainly my objective as time goes on to get more time time to be in the field but it's easily um, probably my estimate in reply to him was probably 25% of the time maybe even 20% of the time is field work and the rest is office work and editing and promoting and putting projects together to fund this career this profession and lifestyle um, but being out there is what gives me the stamina to go for those longer periods of editing because it feeds my soul to be in the wilderness and calms me down. So my point in bringing up this segment is not only do we go out there for the thrill and fun of collecting great images, but it slows us down. There's a rhythm when you get into wilderness for more than a couple of days. There's an appreciation, a heightened awareness of, of observation. And something on my Instagram post, for instance, I like to sometimes point out, you know, I might be walking through the forest and having a photographic opportunity with a bear, let's say, on a, on a trail. But prior to that big animal, there were so many other little things that caught my attention that were worth looking at, amazing things in nature, that um, generate an appreciation in, in wilderness and, and motivate us to care more and be more involved in, in conservation efforts and so forth. So by spending these weeks in wilderness, it feeds us to better cope with the rest of our time in the real world uh, of this profession. But it feeds our soul to, to spend this time and breathe and sit down and eat some wild blueberries. How do you beat that in the scene before or after finding a moose or a caribou, for instance, with what I do? I just love those times and it's, it's grounding. And, and I've, to elaborate on that just quickly, I've had many friends who want to accompany me on these trips and, and I have taken many people one at a time usually on these trips with me but some are very busy people and they say can we come for, can I come for five days can I come for seven days and it depends on the destination but if I say no no because I know you're not going to take away what you need to what really will feel um, genuine and and really develop an appreciation in that short a time so Really, it's a minimum of seven days, preferably 10, because those first few days, there's that wow factor of being in the wilderness and maybe having some wildlife encounters and taking in the landscape and the fresh air and the scents and sounds and things that are going on. But you've got to get past that. And then it's just like you feel like you belong there and you're, you're part of it and it's natural and it takes days to get into that. And when you kind of get to the point where you've forgotten what day of the week it is, that's awesome. And, and you're just in a space where your, your actions are dictated by light as a photographer. So you're up to get the sunrise if it's clear. Or, you know, there's all these aspects that you're paying attention to. Are you going to try for northern lights that night? Are you going to work your schedule to fit that in and then be out for caribou in the morning? These decisions. But that's all that matters at that point. And then when things fail in the sense that you don't find something that day, after a few days out there in the wilderness, it's still that's okay because it's just great being there. It, you're grounded and and there's some peaceful perspective that you know it's going to come with time and it does. Um, and it may not be the big grandeur experience you're expecting, but something small can happen that's pretty magical too. And you just never know. And that's part of, again, the, the end game thrill of what we do is you can never predict on any given day 
in wilderness what you'll see or how many things you'll see from a small you know snow bunting flock that goes by and it just does something very cool or a hawk owl or maybe some wolves come out and walk past we don't know maybe nothing maybe it's just the fresh air that day but the next day something happens anyway my point is to summarize is to slow down take time take more than a few days and immerse yourself in wilderness and slow down take deep breaths because i think more and more of us need to do that nowadays um, with the expectations we have and the bills we pay and, and the lifestyles that that we lead um, it really helps i think lower stress levels and and get us on in a, in a good place for the rest of the time and that's the cycle I like to do is I plan these trips. Um, of course, it's seasonally dependent for when the wildlife are most photogenic most often. But, you know, to have to do one periodically. And even early April, I'm delighted to be here in Wyoming to get into wilderness and experience something new. Because, you know, I'll go back and edit for a few more weeks and then look forward to the next trip. But it fuels me through all that office time and computer time and millions of mouse clicks and all of that fun stuff to to make this possible so i want to encourage people that way to slow down and enjoy and so before we get into the main main segment here and i want to thank ron hayes for hosting us again in wyoming our co-host here and i i neglected to start off with an introduction but hopefully you've already you know us because of the podcast you've listened to but um here today we have ron hayes in wyoming and we're in his house with our mobile studio set up here, as you can see on some of the <laughs> camera perspectives. And it's all serious business. And we've got Michael Morrow and myself, Mark Raycroft. Um, and I don't know if you guys want to add anything to those components before I bring up the next subject. I Just what you were saying about being in wilderness, I just think just being outside, it, it just brings a little bit of balance and you just get to see the life that goes on around you that most of us take for granted. There's people that want to have a voice for wildlife, but how much time do they actually spend with that wildlife or spend making sure that that those animals are thriving? So I I wholeheartedly agree and, and wholeheartedly agree. Wyoming, we're not a real fast-paced part of the universe, so um, we tend to take our time with everything. But... I, I agree. Life just needs to slow down. There's too much going on most of the time. Mm -hmm. Do it with your kids too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. get them out. I mean, more than ever these days. I know those screens are, you know, talking about Instagram, but all these screen aspects are so compelling. Let's just put it that way, for them and to get out and have fresh air. Mm -hmm. And you know, and my optometrist, you know, how important are our eyes, right? As photographers, my optometrist says to me so we sit at computers and i know so many of you are at your computers for various reasons whether it's professional or not but we sit two feet from the screen for hours and hours and hours and our eyes just sit there and focus on that and that's very bad to have that set focal point for extended periods so we have to get up or recommended you know every 20 minutes or 30 minutes um to walk around not just to move blood in our bodies and stretch our legs um but to move our eyes and work our eye muscles. So getting outside is the best way to do that because you can mm -hmm. look to the horizon, which your eyes need to do, and get away from that two-foot distance that's been locked in for an hour. Well, it should be every 20 or 30 minutes, but sometimes time goes by. So, yeah, anything mm -hmm. outdoors is good. But there's there's something about that rhythm in wilderness. You know, you hear that mountain stream, you hear the breeze in the pine trees, you take that cedar or that uh, Labrador tea in the north, do it if you get up there and you rub it in your hands. Oh, it's just real. So, anything to say on that before Ron and I do dueling cameras here? I think you did a good job. <laughs> so, thank you. <coughs> I was waiting to do that. Um, so Ron brought up a question this morning. He recently bought an Icon D850 and a 2 to 500 millimeter lens, and that's what I've been using that combination since mid-autumn last year, and I have really been enjoying it myself um, for the type of wildlife I photograph. But for some reason, Ron's RAW files are importing at 128 megabyte monsters, and of course this camera has a 45 megapixel sensor, so they are big, but mine are uh, downloading it at 55 megabytes, so we don't know what the problem is. So we're going to pull our gear out right now and, and open our menus and see 
who's got it wrong or what the <laughs> what the difference is. Well, I don't know if it's wrong or right, right? Well, you we know, don't know if yet. If you like what you're getting, is it really wrong? I mean, you, of course, want to get the biggest file possible out there. But also, Ron's big thing, the reason this came up this morning is he's like, well, how do you manage a 128 right. Right. megabyte file, On the computer right? Well, side. it starts getting to be overwhelming. So if you don't need 128, can you get by with 55? Yeah. Because the cameras I shoot don't even come close to that, and I can right. still blow an image up as big as I want it to be. So right. maybe yep. you, the way you're doing it is better when you look at storage or management. Well, it's a question of, of setting, images. yeah. Bigger, but, bigger is but better. Bigger is Big, better. I mean, that is is the, that's what everybody thinks, right? Well, not everybody tells me that, but, <laughs> but some people have said that. I've heard that bigger is better. But I don't know what to believe. But when it comes to image image sensors, I do believe in this instance, bigger is better. And there's a whole list of reasons why I love a 45 megapixel sensor. And I know historically people will be like, why that big? But the flexibility in post-production is huge compared to a 16 megapixel sensor that I was dealing with two generations of pro cameras ago. And it was still applicable and would work for all the big applications, no problem. But... When you're trying to do grizzly cubs and you want to stay a long ways away for comfort of everybody involved, uh, a, a larger sensor gives you a crop factor in camera and post-production that you didn't exist. So to, to work a file and, and move it in 50% uh, brings you that much closer to an animal. So my 500 millimeter lens is now a thousand millimeter lens. And I love that possibility that we didn't have before. But let's get down to this difference here. So if I go into my menu on my, it's the same setup, the 2 to 5 with the 850. Look at the menu on the back. I will switch off of these pronghorn images that I got yesterday for the very first time in my life. And go into menu and look at, we're not looking at movie settings. I will find it. These menus are so... Ron's got it. What do you, where are you at? Okay, so what's um, yours? Green camera, and then go to image size. Okay. So mine is raw large, which is showing the pixels of 8,256 times 5,504. For what size of image? Drum roll. Size of image, 45.4 megapixels. That's exactly what he has. Exactly the same. But what are you saying? When you export a raw image, it's Import. coming out. Or yeah, when you export out of the camera right. and you import it into the computer, it says what, 128? It says 128 megapixels. Okay, megabyte. so it's staying a raw file at that point. Or is it converting it to... But if it converts to a TIFF, when I, it, it depends. So if you're set at an 8-bit TIFF, that would make sense to me. I convert to 16-bit 16 16. TIFF. Always to work. So this, yeah, but raw, you wouldn't be converting. Are you saying just when you no, drag I'm just, and drop, it? just importing the raws? Still a raw file, an NEF file, right? And how do you do it? Do you do it just right from the card to uh, a hard drive, or do you go through Lightroom, or nope, what are you doing? Right from the card to the hard drive. So it's just drag and drop, mm -hmm. and it says 128. Every one of them. And yours is what? I thought it was 55. And every one of them. <laughs> A thousand so, thousand images okay, so. took six hours. <laughs> and that has a little bit to do with the speed of my laptop, but Oh, I can Well and if you're on USB two or USB right, three, USB all that kind of stuff. Yeah, there's mm -hmm. all that. You know, it doesn't take me time at all to download a card. Um You know, the only way we're gonna be able to test that's this the next and podcast. What we need to do it. We're getting the computers up. Well, we need to use the same computer. No. Same everything, and you guys need to just shoot an image. And we'll take that same image and bring them both in and just make sure what we're talking is apple to apple. Because right, he's right. using a PC, mm -hmm. you're using a Mac. Damn he's straight. Doing, he could be using <laughs> a different, you know, it just who knows. We well, need to have those variables. Same, but right? I think if we just look at, at what you've imported quickly for the next podcast with your laptop open and see what a raw file says. Well, I mean, I guess I should just trust that it is an NAF file. For some reason still i have a hard time believing that why is it switched so but well yeah we'll get the guts of the computer open for the next podcast now if it's wrong 
then I'm going to have to eat crow and it's not going to make another podcast. But <laughs> Well, no, that's okay because we're going to, you know, all of us at various times through these these adventures and stuff, we'll be eating something like crow. I don't know if I want crow, but... Um, I've had my fair share. <laughs> so, no, it's 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 worth checking on. But is that the only setting in there that you guys would do? Would adjust? Yeah, image, I, yeah the image it's size. A lot, it's a large so size for a raw file. So go back file. in there, and that is just raw. That So yeah. it, when it says large, it's not meaning well, a you, JPEG shot. Because, you know, some no, cameras will do a raw and a JPEG. Yeah, you can image. select that option. You can. You can do but you JPEG, guys are just TIFF, doing raw only. You can do JPEG, TIFF, mm -hmm. raw, or all three if you want to just devour your card. Um, the same image gets recorded in all formats. And now the interesting thing is, of course, when you shoot in a RAW, you're working with a different color profile than, or sorry, the JPEG than what the RAW the would be. Yeah. And there's no reason to shoot a JPEG as a pro. For, no, a pro because you want the ability to make have the most latitude. Exactly. Yeah, with all the aspects of the image, whether it's brightness, color, mm -hmm. contrast, you have to set a lot of that with the RAW. Whereas the JPEG, you and get with that's it. That's all that's saying is it's doing the largest RAW file possible. That's correct. Possible. That's right. But hold it, that says. Yeah, sorry. Right. So there's two settings. You can select the JPEG or TIFF or the NAF RAW, and these are the options. So this is the NAF RAW file, large, medium, or small. So the, on this 850, the large file, which makes full use of the 45 megapixel sensor, is a 45 megabyte file. Do you, if you go down to the Where next settings, is that the is that the sensor size we're seeing here? That's because the sensor size. This is the sensor size because yeah, it imports. So we're all learning something here today. Mm -hmm. It imports as a RAW at 55 megabytes on my computer. I know that mm -hmm. because the D810 is another camera I use for some applications, and it's a smaller sensor, I think at 35, 33, 32. If you go to that smaller megapixel, one? it goes in at 45 megabytes for a RAW. Does that adjust your sense? Do you get that crop factor then? Yeah, that's, that's you can. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if it no, does. No, that's just a different size raw. Yeah. But you can set it to. It's, a, it's just a medium to size. What would portion be APS-C in Canon or or the so DX format right. in Nikon? So one place that this I would set up differently. So my wife is a very good photographer, and she'll do uh, weddings frequently, and those often sometimes be photographed in JPEG. But if they were photographed in RAW too, there's no point in having a 45 megapixel. It's so rare that they would do. A mural of an enlargement from a wedding photo so we sh we reduce the size on the sensor for these large sensor cameras for that kind of application and shoot a medium or even small depending on what's going on during the wedding process for the photos to make more out of the card and it just doesn't have to be that big and, and depending on what's being delivered to the client as well so there's times that it warrants using the smaller part of the sensor you don't need that large file but with mm -hmm. wildlife you know, for we don't know what the application will be when we go to publish it. We want to be able to um, be able to approve the biggest sale possible. If somebody wants a, a bus sign or a billboard, no problem. Or, like I alluded to earlier in post-production, if there's some reason that we want to pull the images in, in and be closer to the subject, we have that post-production crop factor we can do on the computer. So that's why in, in, in wildlife I always shoot the largest raw possible in all of my cameras and i don't record it in jpeg or tiff until mm -hmm. i've finished working the raw image and then save it under those files so we will get to the bottom of this in the next podcast by having That'll a laptop be fantastic and, and hopefully i won't have a plate in front of me <laughs> right for eating got it got it okay <laughs> So there's no lens envy today, as Ron was talking about earlier. Before we started the podcast, we have the same setup. Um, but we were going to try and have a dueling contest. But because we're not quite to the bottom of this, we'll postpone that too. So for the main segment of this podcast, I wanted to talk about the relevance of motion, capturing motion, movement, or action in still photography. And we can get to video as well. I mean, I know that's super We better. Yeah, yeah, we're not going to, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> But the difference it makes for the appeal of an image. So static images certainly have their place, but to um, to really up the ante and what sets apart many great photographers from the rest of the pack is the ability to to time it to capture motion or movement in an image to add that appeal. 
and it's something that I'm always looking for um, when I'm filming, photographing in the field for wildlife. So, you know, if it could be behavior, and that's a big deal that we have to elaborate on because understanding the species you're photographing and what they do and why you're photographing that time of year is, you know, it's all relevant. So a lot of animals are at their peak physical condition during their mating seasons. So bears in the springtime or um, ungulates, which are antlered animals or, or, or horned animals through different periods of autumn or rutting and the behaviors that they participate in during those mating seasons are really they tell a lot about the species and, are, and make an image that much more interesting so it could be for bears scent marking for boars is one of the images i'm always trying to capture um, where they'll stand up and scratch their back on a tree it looks like they're just scratching their back but it's such an impressive pose um, and they're actually marking the tree with their scent as um, a territorial odor but also to attract females and they'll bite the tree so there's a visual sign on the tree as well um, it could be anything from animals howling or running it could be something as subtle as an animal lifting its front hoof or paw up i know with bears that's uh, something i always try to time is if a bear is walking toward me at a safe distance with our telephotos and our post-production crop factor if we need it you know to have a paw raised and see that movement in that detail just mm -hmm. brings another element to the image and the same with a bull elk coming up over a knoll with a mountain backdrop um, to have a front hoof up moving just adds significant appeal as far as I'm concerned to the image. And I know it helps sales a lot that way too. Or a bugle, if it's gonna call when it crests their eyes and they'll tend to do that too. So it's knowing the animal behavior to time an image um, as well. I know in previous podcasts and those that have listened to them, I'll just uh, mention this very briefly. One of my favorite images to capture as far as behavior is lip curling in any of these antlered or horned animals. When a male is following a female intending to see whether she's in heat, he'll um, center trail or actually taste the urine and there's an organ in the upper oral region of the male animal and they lip curl by inhaling air and that verifies whether or not or tells the male whether she's in peak of estrus or heat and worth pursuing but the behavior that that depicts with their head tipped back whether it's a bighorn sheep ram whether it's a bull moose or a whitetail elk is um, one of the most popular behavioral images uh, for these species because it just resonates what the animal is doing and, it, and it's it's zest for life it's the rut and it, it really depicts that very well so Anything to do with action uh, or movement heightens the quality or improves the quality of, of a static from a static image, in my opinion. So I encourage people to do that. And there's something else. I, as far as relating back to the earlier segment about taking time in wilderness, a big part of being a successful nature wildlife photographer is knowing to be patient. And I'm not, I'm not talking just about being patient for days to find an animal or have that luck come your way with perseverance. But when it happens, when the animal's coming out, that excitement, the ability to control the adrenaline so that you still get the best images you can is a learned skill, in my opinion. So sometimes if I'm in an area, let's say I'm filming elk somewhere and there might be two or three other photographers I don't know who might be within the vicinity and I can hear what they're doing. There are times I hear their shutters just blasting, just maximizing that what, 16 frames a second, <laughs> building the library in moments, you know, they've got lots of work coming up at the computer later, because the animal just came out, but it hasn't done anything yet, it's just standing there, or it's looking away, or it's got its head down, or is isn't catch light in its eye, it's just not the right light angle, but they're blasting, but you know what, it's hard to resist that motor drive, right, you hear that, don't get sucked into that, right, let yourself take the moment and compose the image and say, wait, you know, from what I've seen these animals do before, it's likely, no guarantee, likely to do something that's going to walk into the light. It's going to lift its head, catch, catch light. It's going to, it might bugle, it might scent mark, things like that. Wait for it, compose the image. You know, so many people blasting away, well, there's the animal dead center in the, in the image. Take a moment, put it where it belongs in the image. Think of the rule of thirds. And it's the golden mean rule, right? Was that? Yeah. And position it. And that's what sets skilled photographers apart. And there's, it takes time, just like learning composition, learning what good light is, developing a patience 
to get the best image you can for what's being presented takes time. And I want to encourage everybody to just breathe, take a moment and recognize what's happening because later you'll be so much more grateful when you're editing and the picture it would, could be infinitely better by just being a little more patient for what the animal is going to do. So as far as action and motion, I mean, that tells a story, right? It relates to what the animal's doing. How many coyote pouncing pictures do you see or fox? I love it when you see a fox and you only see the back end because it's leapt into the snow for a mouse, right? That tells a story as compared to the fox just standing there. And of course, it's nice to have a fox portrait or any animal's portrait. But once you've got so many of those in your library, work on behavior. Mm-hmm. It's an evolution. So I think if you're starting out, right, you got to get good at the basics, right? Which sure. is the portrait. And then now it's a chance to use this technology to capture what you could never capture before. Right. And Which is the behavior. Well, we but if you that. get good at the portraits, then you can move on. But there's a lot of time to, to play with it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Well, portraits are important, but make it a good portrait. Don't just blast as soon as the animal comes out, right? So well, no offense, I think a Debbie. good thing I mean, to be is... Debbie, Debbie likes to blast. There's no offense because, I mean, you get a lot of pictures that way and you do, and there are good ones. And when it's exciting, you do blast with that motor drive. Everybody does when it's right. But sometimes just waiting that extra 30 seconds for that light to change or something to change in the animal's positioning makes a difference. But you, I think, what's your definition of a portrait? What's your definition of a perfect portrait? Oh, there's so many, there's so many options you can do with that. It's the basic elements, though. So what are those basic things that you feel like every portrait should have? All right. Well, it's got, you have to have good light. You've got to have uh, a background that is appealing and not overly distracting from the main subject. You have to have catch light in the animal's eye. Um, Perspective is often important where we've touched on, you know, at or below the animal's eye level, unless it's some kind of grand landscape where the animal's small in it, um, in a mountainous terrain. But for a portrait, yeah, at or below the animal's eye level. Um, That's it, I think. And you can play with various lightings, you know, you can get a strong... But I'd say the most important thing is the catch light, right? Because that shows life. Mm -hmm. Right. To me, that's the most important. Well, without that, the image is no good. But right. there's no catch light in the eye. You know, that would have been... I Going back, I can't do this. That would have been a slide over the shoulder in a second. Um, the other thing, too, though, is that it's, it's... I don't want to say easier than ever because we still have to know animal behavior in wildlife photography to be able to capture it well. But the technology, the, the equipment, the gear has made it easier than ever. We never had image stabilizers back in the day (laughs) but now they're phenomenal right you can you can you can you have a higher iso you're set at 800 or a thousand iso so you can capture the movement your shutter speeds faster you've got a stabilizer that's compensating for the adrenaline and the shake and the the movement of the camera and it's still nailing the picture so the opportunity to go for it and get the action shots is more attainable than ever so i encourage people to push the gear to his limits and try that stuff and experiment and, and trust me you'll be surprised with the outcome with some of this gear like the two to five hundred um and the two to four hundred i used before that uh, hand holding it i was getting so many great action shots that friends of mine that were reluctant to break free of their tripod and try this weren't getting because they weren't ducking around the tree just a little bit this way or that way to get the animal and what it was doing they had to shift all this gear it just wasn't keeping up and to be in position, I mean, it's easier than ever. So I think I want to, you know, encourage people to go for it with these stabilizers and try the, the action. The other advantage to modern equipment is, you know, especially not having film, is you're not stuck to one ISO. So if you want to demonstrate motion, you can do that in multiple ways. I mean, you can drop the ISO, slow down your shutter speed, keep the same, maintain the same exposure and, and do a, you know, a pan blur. Mm-hmm. And demonstrate motion in that way, and that you know some of the most artistic shots I've seen. That's what well, that's what people are doing. They're slowing things down to enhance the motion in in the image. Right. And obviously, you know, with with video, that's a little bit different. But with stills, that's you know that's one tool that's in your bag now, where all you have to do push a button, roll a dial, and now you're at a hundred ISO. Or or with the 850, you know, it goes down to 64 ISO. 
which is an advantage when you're in a brighter day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a good point. A very different composition and, mm-hmm. and different effect. Yeah, it shows speed in a way that's yeah. different, right? Yeah, as opposed to everything being crisp to get a caribou, mm-hmm. and then they have all the tundra's blurred and that eye sharp, and everything else is yeah. And that's something that needs to be practiced. You're not going to sure. go out and nail that. Right, you but know, that's the, the first benefit attempt, of digital but, too, right? right? You've got that high frames per second. That well, it slows it down, but you can shoot a lot with mm-hmm. that panning. Hopefully, one or two come out. That yeah, way. That's, that's why good... photographing seagulls at the dump is not a bad thing. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, it was a good experiment. <laughs> Targets of opportunity, and you right. get a lot of good practice, and you can just throw them all away when you get home. Sure. Yeah. Or well, it's <laughs> just your your family pet fetching the tennis right. ball or a yeah. stick, right? Yep. Jumping in and out of the lake. Sure. Mm-hmm. Why not? But it does require the right light. It does. Dropping yeah. to 64 is cool, but sometimes that is even still too much. Yeah, depending exactly. On how much light yeah, overcast mm-hmm. day would be a challenge, perhaps. Yeah. So, not to leave you out whatsoever, bringing the video in brings a whole other element to action that, you know, still photographers, I mean, I... I I like to shoot more and more video with a variety of these tools now, from iPhones um, to the DSLRs, and of course with the higher-end video cameras and the capabilities of that. And it just, with the media platforms available to us now, it it's great a great opportunity for us to include motion video as well as the stills, whether it's social media feeds or what we do as a profession for media projects and stuff. We can capture both, and that brings a whole other level of movement and action, which is super appealing to me because you can see the animal moving, you've got audio, you can hear the stuff, and with video, you can do that. But there's so many ways to enhance that with video, right? You've got the gimbals, you could have your camera on, on a track or a rail, depending. I mean, it might not work mm-hmm. so much for wildlife, but p- telling part of the story, you've got a movement. For landscapes and stuff, is great. Mm-hmm. Or if, like if somebody, for what we do, if we were hiking up for sheep, and going up this rocky edge of the mountain slope with this great vista behind us, telling the story is what we do, right? Mm-hmm. So to pan with that a bit and add movement to the camera with the person hiking up with their gear would be a whole other added element versus just a static video camera and the person walking through. Both have different appeal, but... Yeah, and you want to shoot them both. <clears throat> you want to get all that stuff if you got the time, if the time works. And that's what you end up spending so much more time with video because you want to try to... You're not sure what the best way to tell that story is. You don't know if it's stationary and let the person walk through it, or is it following that person? Mm-hmm. And then can you do it smooth, or are you on a tripod, or are you hand-holding it? What, what? To try them, try them all. <clears throat> you have to try them. Well, well I, I do. I, I really try them all because that. I want either me, myself, as the editor, or another editor right. to be able to say, oh, well, was, yeah, I got a million ways here to tell that story. Mm-hmm. So let's figure out what works best. Is it paced really fast? Is it paced really slow? Do I need to show exiting the frame so that we can cut to another scene there's just a million ways to do so the more stuff you could get but with wildlife it's hard because there's no predictability well there is a little bit if you know the behavior but you don't know which way the animal's going to go you don't you know it's so hit or miss you try to get as much as you can the cool thing about what i'm looking forward to on this trip with shooting these birds is at least you're in a little bit of a confined area right so at least you draw these parameters these false walls right and you know mm-hmm. it's probably going to go on in here right. but you still can't predict it so it's going to right yeah a raptor shows up and right it's life all game changes over. Yeah. yeah or six or seven raptors or six or seven you know <laughs> i do <laughs> recall a spot. story about your uh, bear adventure in alaska where each day you kind of started the day by saying i wish i captured this kind of image and it, it happened is there any way we can do that with six yeah, golden no, eagles this afternoon we tell told the guide you know this right. is what we this is what we want today right. and it worked that was <laughs> and, awesome i love that story <laughs> well can it can that happen here that's what we're I, i'm not going to make any guarantees <laughs> i'm this not is my second in the field experience with you i'm looking forward to many more but i'm hoping right. you can bring that yeah well, frequently last, but no pressure yeah. you know yeah last night didn't work out as planned so we'll, we'll see if we can deliver here in the next couple of days yeah i was going to say about the uh about capturing all those different styles of video, if you can. I said it quickly, and, it, and the listeners might have heard it, but you guys didn't, so I want I don't want any confusion left out there and say, I don't appreciate that, because I do. I appreciate the art of it. But when I'm hiking a mountain to go for sheep, and you say, oh, wait, let's do that again. Back up 30 yards. Now I want to shoot this. Wait, wait, take your pack back down and do it again. 
So, but you have to. Why? If you, you want know? to tell the story, yeah, if you can recreate good. it and you can get a better. Well, it's easier than having you with all your setup keep up and move up the mountain as we go. Right. You want to set up these points where you've got the vista to capture that as we pass in front of you, right? And right. do it over a few times. Or what we might end up doing for one of our our trips this year that we have planned where we're going to create many podcasts is if we could just space out as far as distance between us. So I could go up through and then Ron could follow. And so I don't have to go through three times and shoot it different with Ron. Yeah, for sure. Right. Or just Plan use a. a drone. Plan right. A. And then you just fly around and just keep getting there. Right? Oh, we need to do that too. Set the app up so it's yeah, follow it's mode. GPS tracking and or follow mode, yeah. It's just, um, that's the one thing about, <coughs> excuse me, that's the one thing about video. There's, there's so many. I mean, right. I feel like with stills, there's a toolbox that's this big. Right, but so you're showing your hands about a foot apart. That's how yeah. big the toolbox is. And with is. video, you got a toolbox that nowadays is four feet like apart. this big because right. you've got GoPros for POV, you've got so drones for four times the grandiose options. shots, you got cameras that shoot regular speed and slow motion right and then, i was going to touch on slow motion in a minute yes but you got all these <laughs> options and you want to try to get as much of that right. but if you're limited my go-to is the slow motion it's hard you know because, that's the challenge with video on the field what do you do i mean there's so many ways to capture it and even with things like the gopro we're using one of those today to record the whole scene here and i mean they're such a useful tool and you can do so much with it but it all takes time and planning as a as a one man video show, it's almost impossible. Right. You know, you can do stuff and do like we used to do, where you sell stock and you just have that one mm -hmm. clip of really cool stuff that could be used in another project somewhere else. Right. But if you're going to try to produce the whole project, it requires a team. It really does. I mean, there's no way you can have be the POV camera guy and then you also be the drone guy and then you also the camera guy running the big lens and then you also have the wide angle stuff and. It's just hard to do. And and one thing I love about Alaska is like in the mornings, your sunrises last a little while, right? So you might have 45 minutes to work a scene. And so you have the ability to change the lenses or grab another camera or do something different. In the lower 48, our sunrises and sunsets just you basically got one mm -hmm. shot at you're it, done. maybe yeah. two shots at it. So you really got to know where you're at and plan and then or you hope that you get another sunrise the next morning but it's never going to be the same so you, it's really hard to put all that stuff together yeah. but it does it takes a if you're going to try to produce the whole project or produce a project produce a documentary mm -hmm. it requires a team a team yeah every shoot we do that's commercial we have at least three people mm -hmm. and we have different assignments we're all drone certified but it doesn't matter someone's going to be doing drone and then we have one person that does nothing but gopros for that pov stuff and then we have the other person that's just doing those finesse shots with the long and for those that don't know what's pov point of view so it's just be like the camera's mounted right here see whatever hopefully whatever the animal's seeing you're getting that perspective of what that animal might be seeing it's hard to do mm -hmm. really hard to do but it's what's required nowadays because kind of going back to what you said in the very beginning when you're looking through all these images what catches your eye stuff that you haven't seen right that's right. stuff that's a little different it's not that common portrait it's not you know you want to have some with stills it's behavior it's motion it's capturing that motion with video it's you want to see that bird's eye view of whatever that animal's seeing or drones are huge right because you see a drone mm -hmm. image and it'll probably become very commonplace and then it already Better. is kind of yeah. yeah. but mm -hmm. it's still it's just a new way of seeing that landscape mm -hmm. very striking is there even for stills or video i right. mean drones are creating a whole new visual it's perspective that you yeah you, there's no other way to get it i would love to spend four weeks here and even with the changing of the seasons because when you get in these wide open areas like Wyoming where you've got big expanses and it's pretty cool to have that drone perspective, right? You oh, get yeah. in a forest and it's all forest. It's all pretty much the same no matter where you're going until you get high and then you see the whole landscape with the forest. With here, you just get these rolling hills and you can see the topography change and you can see the vegetation change throughout the season. It's pretty cool. One of my favorite things that I see with drones is... Um, on the wilderness rivers 
So if you do like there's these canoe adventures and stuff to access these wilderness areas, and and I'm not talking about necessarily tech, wilderness areas here that, but anywhere in North America, maybe way up north on these remote rivers, you know you can get the canoe perspective. Maybe you've got a GoPro on on the front of the canoe or something, but to send a drone up right above and get the whole forest landscape where all these little trees look like you know these beautiful little miniature christmas mm -hmm. tree kind of thing and and or evergreens and then have the canoe it just gives that perspective of how grand this landscape is mm -hmm. and how little the canoe is and little the person is and until right. the drones without hiring an aircraft you would never get that perspective and it's so common now and in the video thing that it's i know it's kind of simple but it's cool to see for those that are don't aren't exposed to drones frequently is even from the drone taking off from the person in the canoe and just going zip straight up and then it's like wow look at this place this person's in you can't get that perspective any other way yeah it, one thing that i found with the drones is you think it's easy right because good pilots make it look really easy but it's really hard to mm -hmm. you to find the location find mm -hmm. that perfect location is Mm -hmm. you got to be in the right place. Well, first of all, there's all these rules that you can't fly in certain areas. And then when you do find that area where you can fly legally and make sure everything's cool, you want that right look, right? So when people do it well, it's you can't beat it. When you can't force it, though, you, you can end up screwing up. So thing. instead of just a straight river, you've got these S-bends going through down ahead of the That person, or what's the topography on each yeah. side of the river or what's the... Sure. You know, how can you set it up? And then you can't get too far away. Legally, with your drone, you cannot... A, a licensed pilot is not supposed to fly a drone when it's... It always has to be within visual. Mm -hmm. And not with binoculars. You have to visually be able to see that drone at all times. Right. So you can't send a drone a mile down the river and then float through it. It's possible. The technology is there, but that's not legal to do. So, you know, it's just putting all the... It's, Everything, everything we do, whether it's stills or video, it's just designing the shots, spend a little time, figuring it out, find the right location, find the right setting, and then implement it, which takes a little bit of time. Right. All it does is, is clear, and that's what keeps a lot of people from being that creative, mm -hmm. is that forethought and planning. And what you're saying about the drone, um, sure, the canoe operator, or the second person in the canoe, let's say, could do that and keep it within sight. But another strategy would be having somebody down there waiting, running the drone as yeah. the canoe came through. Yep. Yep. You could do that as well. Yeah, and you're supposed to have a visual observer. Right. So, and that's the deal is sure. you have someone that you, because a lot, it's really hard as a single person to watch what you're shooting, make sure you're seeing the drone, watching for obstacles. Although, if you get in the wilderness area, there's not too many obstacles as long as you get above the trees and not close to mountains. But it's pretty, you know. It looks a lot easier than it is, but once you, right. if you just practice it, you like everything, you get really good with it. And if you can have a team, the, the big drones, the, you know, I'm using one of the kind of the middle of the road drones, you go to the next step up, you can actually have someone that runs the camera and someone that flies the drone. And that's the best, right? Because, and if they're really good and if they've worked together for a long time, the person flying does this move. And then the person running the camera does a, another move, whether it's a pan or a tilt or whatever, and it's poetry. It's awesome. But then it just requires that much more. So it's more movement. It's finesse. It's all, you know, that's the other thing about video is movement. I, you, you just watch TV nowadays. Almost every shot has some form, some form of movement. Mm. And it's the technology. And it goes the same for stills because... Mm -hmm. Now that we can do so much more with stills, you're expected to do that. With video, now that you can add movement to the movement, you just are you've drawn into those. By, by having the the point of view of the camera moving as well as the subject, that's why the added dimension. And, gimbals and drones have just changed right. the game. Yeah, I am so excited to start playing with the gimbals with with what we're gonna do for yeah, for even telling the stories, the, the yeah. Osmo stuff. Yeah. Is, to be is able to move sweet. and tell a story that way as we go. Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm not, I just have to go down a different subject here for a moment. I'm, I'm kind of in shape. I'm not for a second saying I'm really in shape, but I'm not as heavy as this chair is making me sound right now on my microphone. <laughs> Every time I breathe, it's creaking and I don't think it's going to fold out from under me, but if it does, it'll be added footage. It could happen. Yeah. It's going in the highlight reel. It'll be viral. <laughs> so I want to get into one other thing. 
can't do it when I want to. Um, why do you like slow-mo so much? What is it about slow-mo? I mean, I know why. I, it's popular. I love it too, but I, you've experienced it far more. What is it about filming slow-mo that tells a story differently or what draws you to it? Well, I think it slows down real life so you can really focus in on what's actually going on. These birds are going to be the prime example, I, right? I can't so wait. Yeah. Last night when you were explaining when these air sacs fill up, mm-hmm. and a lot of times when they're actually making a move, it to the human eye, it's you can't really... I mean, you kind of get it, but you don't see the actual what's going on. And we may not even be... I can only shoot 120 frames a second. So is that even going to be slow enough? To capture that it right. may not be you know there's a lot of things where like if you're trying to shoot an arrow mm-hmm. out of a bow there's no way with the cameras that i'm using now right. there's another cameras that'll do astronomical frames per thousand frames a second yeah. 2500 frames a second and that's when you can stop that stuff and that's where you see mm-hmm. what's a good example someone uh, a water balloon sitting over a table in a studio and somebody pops it with a pin you see that all of that, but that's a thousand, twenty foot, two thousand, three thousand frames a second. With mine, the highest I can go is one hundred twenty, which is still. So you figure every second. Okay. If you're shooting thirty, if you, if you're watching a program that's thirty frames a second, and I'm shooting one hundred twenty frames a second, every second is now four seconds. Got it. Okay. As, so yeah, and as subtle as these birds' movement is, I can promise you, Mark, you're going to get images that if you shoot the sequence of you know the strut you're going to get images that you don't you won't have perceived for sure mm-hmm. and that that's what i'm really excited to see in slow motion because it does it slows it down in those little subtleties that you miss you know while you're just watching it's going to give us the opportunity to see just hopefully, exactly hopefully how that, we get how i mean that that's that's the thing i hope we get a situation where it's all perfect and mm-hmm. can get it though the the challenge to the cameras i use and when you get spoiled is the focus. So mm-hmm. when I'm shooting DSLRs, I, I use the Canon 1DX Mark II has autofocus for video and really good auto, really responsive. There's some cameras out there that have autofocus, but you use it and it's slow and you're better off just manually focusing. The 1DX is awesome, but I can't shoot 4K slow-mo with the 1DX. So then I go to the red and I'm mm. shooting 120 frames a second, but it's all manual focus. So one thing I have a problem with is I'm focusing to get something in, but when you're shooting slow-mo, it's like it's out of focus, out of focus, out of, you know, it seems like it takes forever to come in and you're, you're wanting to see that and you're just like, uh. but that's it's tough. That's one of the difficulties yeah, about challenge. this whole but thing. But when you too, get it, Bonnie mm-hmm. and Primo. awesome. Yeah. I hope that works out. That'd be fun to see in slow-mo. Yeah, I would definitely. We'll see. I've seen it. You know, there's a lot of guys that have it. I mean, you can go to Instagram now and see it. So it, you can do it. It's just getting in the right place, which is mm-hmm. why we're here. Yep. So how does it with even something like a coyote or a fox that's mousing leaping through the air? You capture that very well in slow-mo at that at that frame rate. Mm-hmm. You got to cheat though too because. You know, the cool thing with, so let's go back to the portraits. When you're shooting a portrait of an animal, one of the things that you said was best that you want to see is you want to see that background fall off, right? Mm. How do you get that? You lower your your aperture. Mm. So then you're having this great depth of field. When you're shooting video and you're shooting, a, let's say it's a coyote goat mousing, where he takes off from to where he lands could be six feet, could be eight feet, who knows how far they're jumping. If you're shooting at f4 or f2.8, Changes. you can be in focus where he's taken off, but then where he lands, you're out Just of focus. Leaving the focal point. So then you have to start yeah. cheating a little bit on your aperture. In video, I cheat all the time where I'm like, ah, I better run this at f8, or I better go to f11 and just give myself a little bit of buffer so that I get, instead of having three feet of depth of field, now I might have six feet right. or mm-hmm. 10 feet. So I end up cheating. A lot sure it's... that makes sense if it helps you get the image i mean hopefully the the animals does it perfectly parallel to your plane of, of yeah if they're parallel you're golden yeah yeah but then that means you got to have every you know it's it's what it is is it's and i don't get enough time it's kind of relates back to what you said earlier too where we spend 
25% of our time in the field and the rest of the time is producing all this stuff, you really need to spend 75% of your field to just be the ultimate perfectionist as a camera operator. Because it's just trial and error. You know, it's just figuring it out. When we were doing the Panther show, we were shooting a Panther in an enclosure and a lot of times he'd walk right at me. Well, I'm having to dial that focus and guesstimate his speed and make sure my speed on the focus is following. Imagine, yeah. And I, I was stress, horrible at stress, it the first right? day. Yeah. You know, I was super excited to go back and look, and it's like, ah, uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't get it. But by day two or day three, you're just kind of getting that feeling down. But then that's if he's walking the same speed. You know, it's just a feel. That's a but challenge. the more you're out there, the, the better you get. Mm-hmm. It's all about just time behind that that camera. Right on. What uh, what time frame are we at here? How soon do we need to roll to get in excitement for this afternoon? So we have a podcast coming up for this Wyoming adventure. That is a wrong take. Question two. Take three. Is it still snowing? Yep. And we thought about yeah, this yesterday after concluding the first podcast for this Wyoming trip. Is that we want to recommend that you hold off until we post them all, perhaps. It depends on your personality, of course. But you could binge watch these because we're going to tell the whole story through this adventure in our time in Wyoming. And it'll really mm-hmm. unfold uh, in an interesting fashion, hopefully, with what we're facing with the wildlife and the challenges and hopefully the high five kind of experiences at the end of it. And uh, of course, we have other trips coming up after this one too that will be very exciting to follow along with us on the adventures this this spring and, and throughout this year. They're all getting mapped out right now. We're very excited about them. But as far as this afternoon, then, how are we for time frame? To... I I think we're we're about the right time. We you know we might have about an hour before we need to get out. So better get ready. So what are we doing? There's snow on the ground. We need some insulation today. That's a solid question. I think we have two options. There's a non-typical pronghorn that we could go try to locate and know the general area. Just depends on where he's at. Um, There are the uh, close-up turkeys. Wild turkeys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have any Miriam pictures, so that that would be that'd be a fun experience and and a new addition to. To my portfolio. So. so let's say we're not here. But you we have but, you but, have these conditions. You've photographed everything around here. You know like, okay, I'm looking out there. I would, I think today I could get this shot. I would probably stay home and sit take by a, fire. a chance on uh, going into a blind and try to get the eagle on the and whatever else shows up on the carcass. So you know of a carcass. I know of a carcass. You know that there's eagles around. Got a call. You there's go been set. eagles on this carcass, and uh, got he he granted us permission, carte blanche, to do whatever we'd like to do out there, and that's probably what I would do. But I haven't photographed 400 eagles at a time in Alaska either. So opportunity, a good eagle shot, I would probably take that. But the you know the turkeys are going to be there tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that so the right. eagle you don't know a few days and they may be done right depending on what else is feeding on that carcass yeah when a mountain lion comes up and hides the carcass and buries it's all gone, it and it's done yeah the eagles are done yeah i'm okay with that photo op the mountain lion burying the carcass <laughs> <laughs> we'd probably just get the Speaking mountain of lion. Which. there it was on cue <laughs> <laughs> uh so I, that's the cool thing. There's options. Yeah, and we never know what we'll see in a situation right. like that. What are we looking at for weather? Like, I know last night this looked ominous for this morning, and it's just there's light snow this afternoon. Yeah, it's it looks like it's it's brightening up quite a bit. It's nice, right? Soft filter clouds. And, and the next couple of days, where are we at? Do you know, same thing until Monday morning, and then we're going to have some sunshine. So no sun for the next couple of days, right. but overcast conditions that would be workable mm-hmm. for that. Yeah, we can work the whole day if we need to. Right. Okay. So yesterday Good. the app said. So by two p.m. it's saying the snow should stop, but it's going to stay cloudy mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. So we're probably going to be done early tonight. I bet you by six thirty we don't have enough light to shoot. So. So let's roll and see what we can get. It says now it's snowing, but 2 p.m. You bring your long underwear? 
I brought. You're ready. Yeah, I'm ready. (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing worse than freezing your butt off. You can't in April. I saw flowers in Denver. I saw purple flowers, green stuff. I doubt that it's snowing in Denver. We're just far enough north where we got the storm. Yeah, we just we just hit it. Right. And it seems cold. Right. I was out there earlier, and it doesn't seem it's that. It's not like that typical really wet spring storm. No, this is it's, a cold. It was it's wet, but it's ice. Not. Yeah, ice pellets this morning is what it was. Instead of the nice big spring flakes, you know. Yeah. All right. So, so we're gonna head out into the Wyoming wilderness this afternoon and try to have yeah. some wonderful experiences and we will report back on that in the next podcast so thanks for tuning in to wild and exposed and you can find us at wildandexposed.com our website and all of our personal links there as well for instagram and our own websites and the stories that follow anything else that you gentlemen would like to add before we wrap it up for this one and go and put our long underwear on and our down jackets and prep the gear i don't think so Hot coffee. That a go? Ready? Should be. All right. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>